Principal Matters Podcast, episode 161. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the school leaders podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. You can check out all my resources for school leaders at my website at williamdparker.com. This week, we're talking about questions from Principal Listeners Part 2, my co-host, Jen Schwanke, who's also the author of You're the Principal, Now What? Strategies and Solutions that Work for School Leaders and the Principal of Indian Run Elementary School in Dublin, Ohio. Jen, welcome back to this next episode of Principal Matters, and thanks so much for joining us as we wrap up our series together by answering questions from listeners. Hi, everyone. I'm so glad to be back, and I just love the questions we're going to take a look at today, Will. Well, last week, we tackled several questions on how do I get my first leadership position? How do I manage situations when I've got students that I'm tired of disciplining and I, I'm wrestling between consistency and compassion or questions f- from a listener on how do I manage teachers who sometimes are difficult to support. And so if you didn't listen to that episode, please go back to episode 160 and, and you can hear the thoughts that Jen and I share there. And we'd love your feedback too. If you've got suggestions, recommendations, or additional feedback that you'd like to provide the listeners, feel free to comment on the blog post that accompanies this podcast or send us an email at will at williamdparker.com. Jen, this week's first question comes from a principal who asks, how do you manage being a parent and a principal at the same time. I had a serving principal who told me it is impossible. And so I get the I get a sense that this is a principal or maybe an aspiring leader who wants to have children or is looking forward to being a parent and they're being told you can't do that. What do you what do you say to that, Jen? Well, I think nothing's impossible. Of course I think that. I'm a school principal. I'm a s I have a cape. I have superpowers. Um I I but I mean that actually. I think it is very possible. I think a lot of people do it. Um it it does take some using of you know, using life hacks and mm-hmm. figuring out your priorities, which we'll dig into a little bit more here. But you know, I started the school administrative administration journey before I was married, before I had kids, and um I have evolved my priorities over time. I think I can stand tall and say that my family and my kids absolutely come first, and I don't think my professionalism suffers for it. Um, And I say that confidently because it's something I think about a lot, and I do constantly shift my priorities around as needed, but it can be done. And, um, you know, I'm married to an athletic director, so if if you've got a lot going on, it's okay. You can figure it out one step, one problem at a time, especially with this, a strong partner. I agree. And my one of my first thoughts for this person is that I don't believe there's a better occupation in the world than being an educator and a parent. And and yes, that doesn't mean that it's not difficult. Uh, you right. and I both know, Jen, that that meetings, that after school events that parent conferences, that our kids waiting out in the lobby from our office when we're right in the middle of a long meeting, there there will be pressures and sacrifices. I can, I'll never forget the night that I took my children with me to a basketball game when I was an assistant principal. They were all tiny. Emily, my oldest, was probably eight, and Jack was all the way down to maybe two or three. And so I was excited. I got them there, got them popcorn. They're sitting there watching the game. And I thought, yeah, Missy's getting a break back home. I took my kids to a basketball game. It's been a great season. And then right in the middle of that game, a policeman approaches me because there's been a situation with a student assault right outside the building. And so I had another teacher watch my kids while I went outside to encounter blood and the 
aftermath of violence and upset parents and police reports and all of that. And it was two hours later before I got back to my poor little children that were sitting there. So yeah, it is a difficult sacrifice and you have to have other people in the school family who are willing to jump in and help. But I wouldn't trade it because the opportunities that I've had to embed my parenting and my work as, a, as an educator have also made it a real joy. So talk about that for a little bit, Jen, because that's a part of the nuance of being a parent principal. You said some important things there in that story. And what I loved the most maybe was school family. Schools are families. And that by nature means that you've got a little bit of wiggle room and flex room. Um, because I have had small, small children in this role, I'm the first one to understand when a teacher has to go home because their child is thrown up at school or, you know, my son is, is graduating. Can I leave a little early or, you know, dentist or orthodontist, whatever. Um, and I am always so flexible because I know give me a day or two and I'm going to need that flexibility and grace and support from my school family. I think that, that it is, you know, you can't go into this profession of profession of children and of growth and of challenge and, and not have that kind of flexibility with yourself and with your school family. I've done that before too. I've said to my kids, you know, your mother has a big problem to solve. I need you to help me with this. And I think it's made my kids better people. I do. I think they, they know what hard work looks like and they know what priorities look like. Well, when I think about principals or other leaders that may say to a younger leader, you can't be a principal and a, and a parent, it's impossible. They're usually speaking from, an experience of pain themselves exactly. or, or frustration themselves. And I'm not, and I'm not saying that because I'm judging anyone because I've been that parent. You know, you've heard my story before, Jen, and I've shared it with listeners in, in other episodes of when my wife and I sat down and she had to explain to me that I had become the shell of the man that I used to be, that I was no longer being a parent except on the weekends. And I had to reprioritize the way that I was leading and being a parent, or I was going to have to get out of the profession. And I've sat across from older administrators who have a lot of regret because they felt like they missed out on the growing years of their children. or They felt like they gave everything they had to their school to the sacrifice of their own family. And those are real. Those are real situations. So I don't want to ignore the realities that that can happen, but I do want to encourage leaders that that doesn't have to be the norm, that you can, you can take a step back in any situation and try to find that balance. And let me just say this, if, if it's impossible for you to find that balance in your scenario or your situation, then you may need to consider a different place, a different profession, or a different school. And so that's just reality. But most places you have the opportunity to, well, I'm going to say in every setting and in every day, you have the opportunity to make a choice. And the choices that you make are where are you going to prioritize your time? And so there are some, let's talk a little bit, some of those life hacks, Jen, some of those things you can do to make choice, to make sure you're embedding parenting into the process of being a principal. Okay. Well, this is where I geek out because (laughs) I love my life hacks that make things work well in my home. I am going to get really specific here, but some of the things I do are I make meals ahead. In the summer, I try my, I set a goal. I'm a goal setter. And I try to have 25 frozen meals in the freezer by the start of school. So I'll take a few days over the summer summer, and I sling out lasagnas and taco bakes and, and um, grilled chicken breasts and I have them all frozen. And, and I do that again over Christmas break as well. I live by a calendar and I'm not a slave to my calendar, but I check it every single morning to know what's going on. I, um, 
think about efficiency a lot. So I'm going to go to the grocery store once, maybe twice in a school week. That's it. And if we run out of milk, we're just not going to have milk for a few days. So I don't let myself get all harried and run around town trying to be super mom and super principal. I just have learned what to let go. And that's one of my biggest life hacks actually is let some things go. I don't have to be perfect at everything. And you know who's better for it is my children. Yeah, well, I'll give you some of our life hacks because I really like all of those, Jen. One of the things that we've done, and this is, I'm going to give my wife kudos for the life hacks that we use, but one of the things that she's done, because with four children and a dad who was a principal and kids from high school down to junior high, you know how busy that gets because we have drivers now. We have all these other places that we are in life now that they're older. So she, at the beginning of every week, takes a dry erase marker and writes on the front of our refrigerator, everyone schedules for every single day, where they're going to be at what time and who's going to be where each night and each evening or each afternoon or where I'm going to be. And often she'll also make a list of what meals we can expect that week for each night of the week, depending on where we are as well. And just that ability to just take a step into the kitchen and look and see where all of our lives are going, it provides, provides a lot of um, stability in, right. those days, in those days ahead. I'm going to tell you about two more quick life hacks. One is I never make one meal. I always make two and I freeze one or I put one in the back of the refrigerator. So it takes about four chicken breasts to feed my family. I always make eight and then I've got some left over and so on. The other life hack, and I'm saying this about half kidding, except I'm really not. When I first started dating my now husband, I he pointed out that I was terrible at folding laundry, which was the smartest thing I ever did. I said, okay, you do it. And he's done the laundry ever since. So somebody can be maybe kitchen person and somebody can be laundry person. And if you're doing <laughs> doing it all by yourself. Maybe this is a great life hack is really rely on help. You know, whether it's hiring somebody to help clean your house or really tapping into those willing grandparents or neighbors or friends, you know, it does take a village. That's one of the most common quoted lines and for good reason. I love that. It reminds me of when my wife decided to stop doing our kids' laundry, when they got yeah. old enough to start doing their own, and she told them, guess what? You can now do yours. Right. We'll do ours. And then sometimes we have things we share. But, but yeah, that, that, that's huge. Any other thoughts on that? Because I know we've done some previous episodes. And so, listeners, if you, if you want to go back and listen to two or three episodes that Jen and I did on parenting as principles, we talk really specifically about some of the, the ideas that I think that are important for you to consider as you step into that role. But I appreciate that question because it, it, the answer is it is not impossible. You can lead and parent together. And when you embed those kids into your routines, take them with you to activities, take them with you to games, ride together to school, those, have them store their stuff in your office, Right. build in those routines where you can see them regularly and connect with them. And your kids are going to be different depending on their personality. Some kids want to be hugged and some kids want to be left alone, but figure out what those are and then embed yourself into those moments with them because you're going to have so many great experiences watching your kids grow with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Next question. This listener asks a question. I'm so glad was asked while you're helping co-host today's show, Jen, and that is how do I most effectively lead as a woman administrator? Because I know, especially in my travels that I do now that I'm in my role as a state association director, when I go throughout the state visiting and, and even into other states, it depends often on where I go. I'm just going to say frankly that urban and suburban areas tend to have more women leaders, but when I get out into rural areas, I see less and less women leaders. But then even sometimes in larger districts, 
men still may be outnumbering women in the number of high level leadership positions. So, so Jen, I'd love for you to speak to that first. Um, how, how do you most effectively lead as a woman administrator? I've never made it my identity to be a woman administrator. I feel that I, my identity is that I'm a good administrator and you know, we could spend an hour talking about what that means, but I have definitely felt that being a female was an issue at times or not an issue, but it was, it was, you know, something kind of unspoken in the room, but I have refused to think, to make that um, an excuse or an explanation for any decisions or any path that I have taken. I, you know, I, I think of that phrase we spoke about in our last podcast episode, which was go where you're wanted. So if there are areas that are not ready for a female administrator or are going to make your life, you know, a horrible existence just because you are who you are, then you don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And you have to let time um, pass or, or, you know, remove yourself from the situation. You want to be affected. You want to be appreciated. And at the same time, you know, us, us women can't use our femalehood as an excuse for anything. And, you know, I'm just going to use a very basic, um, very cliched example, but you know, a lot of times a woman needs to have a good cry Mm -hmm. and that's okay. But what I won't do is use my good cry as a way to get out of a situation, as a way to make anyone else feel bad. I won't use it as a manipulation tool. What I will do is go into a private place and have my good cry where no one sees it. Just like, again, stereotypical and cliched, but let's just like a man might get angry and need to say some choice words. Um, A man would never, uh, an effective uh, male principal would never do that publicly. He would go take a walk, as you've said you've done in the past, um, or call a trusted friend, get it out. But I never want to, again, use my, the, the things that make me a woman, I wouldn't want to use them as an excuse to define any sense of being ineffective. I agree. And let me just speak to this question from the perspective of someone who's been led well by other women. And so the the principal that I had who mentored me for the last position that I had, I was in the assistant principal role in that building with her for seven years. And so for seven years, I got to watch leadership from the perspective of a woman principal. And one of the reasons that I came to work in that building was because she recruited me and because she was an inspiring leader. And so the things that she did in that role were always modeling for me the things that I wanted to do in my role. She was consistent. Mm -hmm. She was a strong communicator. She was courageous. She was compassionate. She was supportive. And probably the area that she had more strength than I did, and I'm not going to say because she was a woman, but I'm going to say that women tend to have a tendency to be more Mm relationship-driven. And so because she was so much stronger at relationships than I was, I had to learn to become stronger at relationships because she modeled it for me. And so I think that sometimes the same thing that maybe that sometimes the same inhibitions that women may feel at other people's perceptions of them can also be used as an advantage, especially in school leadership, because I've seen some of the best leaders that I've served under have been women leaders. And of course, men leaders too. But, um, and then I've seen some really bad women leaders and not because they're women, but because they were inconsistent or because they weren't courageous or because they weren't relationship driven. And so all the same things that make a great woman leader are the same things that make a great man leader. And so I think it's just important to remember that, that it's, 
the way you lead, right? Not not the gender you are that, that makes you a great leader. I think that's the essential point right there. And as principals, we are challenged a lot by parents, by kids, by teachers. And when someone, you know, if someone were to say to me, I think that that happened because you're a woman, I would like to be able to say, no, it happened because I was thinking of of the students or it was happening because I know what I'm doing or because I know policy or whatever. I I try never to let the um, reasons for any of my decisions sit in a place where it can be pointed back to my gender because I don't I think it doesn't cross gender lines being a strong administrator I think we can men women all over this this world are being excellent administrators and has nothing to do with their gender well and I had a deep enough relationship too with that woman administrator that we could sometimes be honest about our gender differences Mm -hmm. so she would say to me sometimes you know well I can't stand it when boys cry if a boy cries in my presence, I melt. And so if there's a, if we're in an office together and a boy starts crying, you're going to have to take over because I, I can't stand when boys cry. And then on the other hand, I would have to admit that I was clueless sometimes and insensitive about girls' needs. You know, right. it, when my own daughters came to my school, I'll tell a quick story. One day my daughter, my younger daughter, was out of dress code. And so I went to get her a pair of the dress code pants that we kept in the closet there. And she dutifully put them on and was getting ready to go back to class. And one of my secretaries grabbed me and she said, Will, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, yeah. And she goes, do not send her to class. And she, said, <laughs> she said, she can go to class in those, but, but every other girl's parent, every other girl in this school's parent would bring her a change of clothes because she had, she had spilled something on it. It wasn't, she was out of dress code. She'd spilled something on what she was wearing. And so she was like, so you're you're punishing her for spilling something on her clothes. And that's insensitive. You need to call home right now and see if your wife can bring, or you go home and get a pair for her and bring it back. And she just put me, she, she took me to town. Yay. Yay for that one. (laughs) But I was clueless. I was like completely oblivious to the fact that my daughter needed compassion right then. And right. so, um, but I, I quickly learned. And so I think sometimes it's important for us to, when we realize whatever tendencies someone has, whether it's be, be, because of their gender or not, if there's a tendency, that, if there's a blind spot that they have that you don't, then shine a light on that and use the strengths that you have to help other people grow strong right. too. Well, and I think it's important to note that as a principal, you have to keep your eye on this issue with, in other scenarios too. So for example, let's say you have a a male um, coaching a female team, you know, you have to just kind of keep in mind because you're going to hear things like, well, it's because he doesn't understand how to work with girls. And, you know, to your point, that might be true. It's something as a principal to keep your eye on. Gender is, it's out there as an issue. And so just understanding different perspectives and that stereotypes are never fair, but um, sometimes do do call for some kind of consideration. Just something something to keep in mind. Well, and I also think it's important for, for leaders to stay connected. And so if you are a woman leader who's leading in a place where maybe you feel isolated, then don't hesitate to, to look for other women leaders within your network. In our state, we've been offering, our Principals and Superintendent Association has been offering a women's leadership conference now for the past three years. And it's it's become one of the most popular conferences of the year because so many women love the opportunity to get together and share the experiences that they have, but also the best practices that they have in a place where they feel honored, respected, and where they don't really have to deal with the issues of feeling isolated or separate or different from uh, their male counterparts. Exactly. And you know, this, a lot of um, this has evolved so much in the last few decades, and that's such a thing to celebrate. All right. So next question. 
how do I maintain my professional growth as a leader? And I've had this question come to me too. How in the world do you get to read so much? Or how in the world do you keep learning? Or how in the world do you have time for a conference? And so let's talk about that, Jen, with this last question. How, does, how can principals keep growing even when they're overwhelmingly busy? Well, luckily, this is a job where a lot of our growth is embedded, and we can't even identify it when it's happening, but we do learn from every single interaction, every single decision that's made, every communication we send, because the feedback is nonstop, is it not? (laughs) It's always coming. And so if we open our ears and put up our mirrors and reflect on how we are um, running our school, there's a lot of growth in there. So that is important to say. Now, in terms of reading, I sometimes feel like all the professional um, reading I need to do, it's like drinking from a fire hose. I can't possibly keep up. And, you know, people are always saying to me, oh, have you read? And they'll, you know, say somebody's name and I have no idea who they're talking about. So I am perpetually feeling behind or uninformed. And I've kind of, I've come to peace that I just can't ever know it all. And that's okay. But with that said, I do keep an eye on, you know, Twitter or um, uh, podcasts like we're doing here. And, you know, your site, Principal Matters, is a wonderful resource for principals attending conference. I just do what I can and, and have to be at peace with my best. I'm just going to say one of my favorite ways, because all of those things are, are ways that I love to learn, but I, I'm, I'll pick one of my favorites. One of my favorite ways to learn is relationships. Because there are other principals who are experiencing a lot of the same things that you are. And I remember several years ago when I was getting ready to go for a long drive to a meeting at the state capitol that I was required to attend. And I reached out to a neighboring district's principal and said, hey, do you want to ride together? And he said, sure. Those two hours on the way there and those two hours on the way back were so powerful that I had my laptop out just taking notes the whole time because every time I would bring up a topic or he would bring up a topic, we would share ideas that neither one of us had ever thought of before or things that were happening in our buildings that we could steal from each other. And so sometimes the best PD you can get is just sitting down with another principal. I am so glad you said that. We had a principal's meeting in my district um, two days ago. There's now 12 of us in the elementary level. And our director said, you know, what do you want for PD this year? Which was a great question. And in the end, you know, what we landed on is conversation. Mm -hmm. We want to talk. We thought, could we have like a question of the day or a topic of the day, things that we're really struggling with that we could just talk it out. And my group of elementary principals, we do actually send emails and we call them QOTD, question of the day. And, you know, they'll, people will just throw out, hey, what do you do about this situation? And then you've got 11 different answers that might potentially come in and you can consider them all and think what might work best for your school. So you are exactly right. That time with another principal can be better than the hundreds of dollars you might spend to travel somewhere. I agree. Well, let me share some of my learning hacks because I, that that question that came to me also came with the explanation that reader or listener felt frustrated that at his or her inability to to keep up or to or to read uh, during the school year and and so I don't know what your learning hacks are but here are some of mine. Um, I like to keep audiobooks downloaded on my phone. Uh, so if I've got a topic that I want to learn about, and I'm just going to be honest, not all my audiobooks are education books. I, I love to read things that are outside of our profession. I'm reading Blink right now by Malcolm Gladwell. It's not an education book, but the ideas of the psychology that happens in our unconscious minds that affects the way that we 
make decisions. Well, guess what? That's a big part of who I am and you are. And so I can learn through listening to nonfiction. I can learn through listening to novels. I can sometimes just be entertained and be inspired. Um, sometimes I download podcasts. If there's a leadership podcast that I really like, Michael Hyatt is somebody that I've really admired and, and listened to his work as well as other podcasts like Justin Bader's Principal Center or Jethro Jones' Transformative Principles. And so I, I try to keep a, a menu of audio options on my phone so that when I'm driving someplace long, if I'm on my way to a school event, if I've got a commute, then I can plug that in instead of just vegging out or getting angry at the news. I can, <laughs> I can, I can take some time to, to, to learn. And it's the same thing with um, chores or work at, uh, back at home. You know, sometimes I may have a a project I'm working on. Well, I can prop pop in my earphones um, working on a project and, and learn a lot uh, in the process of, of getting those things done. So sometimes just embedding those. And then one other hack, Jen, for me is I just try to embed times in my day where I, where I need to learn. So for me, before I go to bed every single night, I try, to, I try to take some time to read, even if I'm really tired, just because even if it's just a page or even if it's a chapter, whatever it is, over time, I eventually get through that content, and by the end of the year, then I've been able to digest content just based on those practices. I've got to sleep, so I might as well read before I do. Um, I've got to drive, so I might as well listen to something while I'm driving. So those are some things that I've been able to do that have helped me digest more content than I probably would have otherwise. Now, my two professional learning hacks are a little bit different than yours. They're going to come from the other end, which is if there's days, weeks, months where I feel like I haven't been able to learn something new, what I try to tell myself is actually I don't have time because I've been so busy learning. You know, as an example, um, during teacher evaluation time, I feel like I don't have a moment and while well, I have to get all my evaluations done. But then I think, wait a minute, what if I flip the narrative in my own head? And instead of feeling guilty about not cracking open a professional book for three months, what if I tell myself, what have you learned about mm. feedback? What have you learned about yes. connecting with teachers? What really hasn't gone well with this process and how can you change it? So if you're too busy to learn, you're probably really busy learning. That's one thing I would say. Oh, cool. Can I just stay there for just a minute? Because I really want, Principal Manners listeners, I really want you to take this, this with you. If nothing else from today's conversations, I want you to take this with you that Jen's talking about. And that is the power of reflection. Because one of the things that I think that we often underestimate is what lessons are we learning through the experiences that we're having right now that could help us better understand our work and improve on the work that we're doing, as well as inform other people on ways that they can improve too. And Jen, for me, part of that process is what I discovered in blogging. And I know you love to blog too, is blogging began to give me the opportunity to reflect on my work, to actually write down the things that I was experiencing in my work to catalog the lessons I'm learning in my work. And I, this, I'm, I know I'm geeking out here, but, but, <laughs> but because it's, it sounds so self-serving, um, but there have been many times in my school leadership when I was serving as a principal where I would actually go back and read my blog from the year before so I could remember what lesson I had learned in that season so that I wouldn't make the same mistakes again or that I would be inspired to try something to grow even more. And so I know that's a strange way to, to think and lead, but I just think sometimes we rob ourselves of just what you're saying, the power of what's happening right in the moment that you're in that could be a powerful lesson for yourself and even for other people. 
Exactly. Exactly. Now my final one, my professional development hack is I've stopped wasting time. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. I, when I started teaching 20, 20 years ago, a workshop model was just coming out for English teachers. And I really, really dug into that and learned a lot about it. And I've learned about it for 20 years. Now, only recently I've attended a few conferences and I thought, oh, there's a session on workshop model. I should go. And then I thought, no, wait a minute, I know that. I know that well. And so I'm going to let my feet do the talking and I'm going to go to a different session, maybe something I haven't even heard about before. We tend to migrate to areas of comfort and areas of our own expertise and that's a mistake. So I'm trying to not waste my professional development time on things I already know and go to things I really don't know anything about. Wow. And that makes me want to encourage listeners to consider this too, especially those of you that have been doing this work a while. You seriously need to consider, if you're not already doing this, you seriously need to consider being the people who are presenting, not just learning at conferences. And because I believe that it's, it is, it's such an important part of our work to begin to teach the things that we know to other people. And so I've worked with administrators who have been doing this work for a very long time. And some of them have, just years and years of depth of knowledge, but some of them may not be sharing that with other people. And so that's like a treasure of information that no one else can have access to. So the next time there is a conference coming up or there's a workshop coming up or there's PD happening within your own district and you know a topic well that might help younger administrators, maybe you're really good at master scheduling or maybe you're really good at change initiatives, or maybe you're just really great at figuring out how to, I don't know, um, how to, how to analyze testing data, whatever it is. Think about what those things are that you're good at that you may think, well, that's a no brainer. Well, it probably is for someone else. A difficult. It is for someone else. Yeah. Somebody else hates it and somebody else is scared of it. So absolutely. Yeah. How can you share the knowledge? So principal matters listeners, as we wrap up this week. Thank you so much for reaching out with questions. And I just want to encourage you, if you have additional questions that Jen and I can be responding to, feel free to reach out through my email at will at williamdparker.com. I mentioned last episode that Jen is going to be taking a break as she steps into the school year with her responsibilities, also because she's doing some teaching in the role of uh, at, the, at, the, at a university role, as well as the role that she plays as a principal and a parent and an author and, uh, and Jen, can you give us just a sneak peek as we're wrapping up today at a new book that you've been working on with ASCD? Because I'm so excited about this next content that you're going to be sharing. And I don't know if you can talk about it publicly or not, but I'm putting you on the spot. So give us a little glimpse into something that people might want to have on their radars. Absolutely. In March, the second book, uh, my second book will come out from ASCD. And we don't have a finalized title yet. But what this book is intended for is principals who've been at it a while, and just need a little bit of a reboot. And so we're going to talk about ways we can embrace innovative leadership, ways that we can keep our staff and our students excited. And really, a lot of the things that you and I have mentioned in our time together recording podcasts, you know, just that self care and keeping ourselves excited so that we don't become you know, these downtrodden, negative, cynical uh, educators we don't want to be. It's really about keeping our fire and staying strong. Well, and if you're not following Jen on social media yet, you need to be. So Jen, share your Twitter handle and where can people find you uh, if they want to read your blog? I'm on Twitter at 
Jen Schwanke, J-E-N-S-C-H-W-A-N-K-E. And you can also follow my blog at theprincipletalks.com. And so um, I'm out there doing some presenting and, and connecting with colleagues. So look forward to hearing from anyone. And I will say the uh, Principal Matters, this website's wonderful. So I hope other people will go to it as well too, Will, and follow your thinking. Well, thank you, Jen. And I just want to wrap up today's conversation also by mentioning that several weeks ago, I began to announce that for the 2019-2020 school year, I'm considering doing some masterminding. And so if you are interested in joining a mastermind group where you could connect with like-minded leaders one hour a week, along with me, for some intense discussions, coaching, the same kind of thing Jen and I are doing right here, this kinds of conversations, but to dive deep into your own school leadership and your own goals, uh, then reach out to me at my email at will at williamdparker.com. Just put mastermind in the subject area and your contact information in the email, and I'll be glad to follow up with you. So Jen Schwanke, thank you so much again for the time that you spent co-hosting for this series that we've done together. I am so thankful for the knowledge, the value, the resources, the information, the inspiration, and the relationship that we've been able to build through uh, the series together. And Principal Matters listeners, thank you so much for taking time to listen, to learn, and to grow. And until next time, thanks for doing what matters. Thanks, everyone.